0: but the angel said to her do not be afraid mary you have found great favor with god you will conceive and give birth to a son and and you are shall you are to call him jesus he will he will be great and um, will be called the son of god the most high the lord will give him the throne of his father david and he will reign over jacob's descendants forever And she who has been said um, to be unable to conceive in her sixth, is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fall. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word come to be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It's a privilege for me to pray for Ben. Let's bow our heads and and prepare our hearts. Father, I give you thanks for Ben's life, for the way you brought him to this church, for the way he has um, led us in worship, uh, managing to uh, be attentive to so many different demands, but uh, uh, helping us focus on, on what worship is about, bringing you glory. Please uh, speak uh, through his uh, words today. Uh, bless the time that, he, uh, that he's uh, put it, preparing for this sermon. And open our hearts and our minds to hear your word and to uh, put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, David. Well, it's great to be here. It's great to be up in this position. Other uh, over there. It's great to be up there too, but also good to be here, uh, speaking to you today, and uh, just again wonderful to come to the end uh, of this, having experienced this Luke sermon series, and come to this day, Christ the King, uh, where we shift a little bit. We celebrate. We shift uh, towards Advent. So. Um, If you didn't get that, my name is Ben, by the way. I'm the Minister of Worship here at FBC. I figured I should mention that just in case you don't know who I am. Um, So, yes, we've come to the end of our Luke series, and we stand here on the cusp of a new year. So it's a new year coming up. Did you know that? It's a new year. You might be getting this feeling right now. Hopefully not, but you might be. You might be triggering some memories of walking into Costco, for example, uh, on october thirty first and there's Christmas decorations set up, I don't know how you feel about that. Some people get the anticipation. Some people feel a little bit of rage, maybe um, or or maybe sometimes you come to September first and it's thirty degrees outside and someone walks by with a pumpkin spice latte or something like that. and you think to yourself, "Where am I? what am I what is happening here?" Uh, but This is not a day like that. This is actually, we are coming up to a new year. Um, It's not a call to dust off your New Year's decorations, but um, we're going to orient ourselves now uh, to the church calendar once once again as we shift from uh, coming through our Luke series and we shift towards the beginning of the church calendar, which is the advent of our God. It's the preparation for Jesus' coming, his past, present, and future. It's really fascinating how celebrating the church calendar works in that way, where it draws our attention to many time differences, past, present, and future. And we're going to be uh, working our way through a wonderful series uh, with wonderful guest speakers. You can find out all about that on our website as well. The Advent series is called The Gift of the Good News, and it's about how each of God's gifts point us to Jesus as well. So we have the good gift of creation, looking at Genesis, we have Uh, the good gift of wisdom looking at the old testament prophets we have the good gift of um, worship as well Uh, welcoming dr edna grenz come and speak to us on that third sunday of course and speaking about the psalms and worship how that points us towards god and then our fourth sunday uh, the good gift of light a light in the darkness in preparation for the good gift of jesus on christmas eve and christmas day and um All of those things, of course, point us towards the good good gift of Jesus. Um, And as Advent begins, these great themes of the gospel story uh, throughout all of of those weeks, they're going to be retold um, and reheard again as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Um, But first, we're starting the new year, of course, next week, but we're not quite there yet. We're lingering here at the culmination of the year on Christ the King Sunday. And so we have these themes of the reign of Jesus Christ. He's risen, he's ascended, he's seated at the right hand of God the Father, and we've sung a lot about that already this morning. We've heard about that sung from the choir, of course, in that beautiful anthem. And it's this theme that... It cuts through all of the noise, it cuts through all the Costco decorations and the pumpkin spice lattes and the worries about bills and the illness and the worries about work and all the things you might be thinking about as you come this morning. Uh, this theme of Christ the King cuts, is meant to cut through all of that and we pause here to recognize it. Now if you're not familiar with the church calendar, uh, that's okay, don't worry too much about it If you've not, if you've not heard some of these terms before. Uh, some people mark these days. They mark them with a special emphasis. Some people don't mark these days. And, of course, in a beautiful sense, every day is is—it's uh, a gift. It's holy to God. But um, as we mark these days, it, it helps us to remind us of who we worship. And uh, it helps us to remind us of the many ways in which God has and he is now and will continue to be working um, not only in our own lives, but in the lives uh, the lives of people around the world, in the uh, the nations of the world, the events that are happening in the world. So it's important to remember that, I think, especially after these two years that Christ is king and the rulers of the world, and we ourselves, we are not. So all these markers in the church calendar, they point us towards Jesus, just like our, our Advent series will do. So we remember um, this theme of, of kingship, uh, it's also anticipated uh, and realized throughout Scripture. We look back uh, to, the, to the Old Testament. We see the theme of Christ the King whispered in the promise to Eve, your offspring will crush the head of the serpent. So even at the fall um, of humankind, being exiled from the garden, that perfect relationship with God, and then, but God promising that your offspring will crush the head of the serpent, looking forward way ahead to the coming of Jesus. Uh, so sometimes it's whispered, Sometimes it's shouted, like in Revelation, the angels proclaiming, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And that's this full, final revelation of that theme. So, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the long awaited one, the one who saves people from their sins, uh, another name for the anointed one. This Jesus is the one who would restore Israel and bring about God's kingdom open to all believers of any people. And all those themes are highlighted on this day, celebrated on this day. So the theme of Christ the King, it's seen, of course, throughout Scripture, um, specifically in the New Testament, and the stories of um, Jesus' ascension and rising and his ruling in heaven. But it's not an ancient practice to recognize this day. This actually only came about uh, about 100 years ago in the 1920s and was originally a proclamation against prevailing ideologies of that time so continuing, of course, secularism, communism and fascism. Um, Christ the King, Sunday, it's significant because it, it points us to a culminating theme over those ideologies uh, that as I said before, Jesus our Lord and God is in charge. And the rulers of this world, whatever their ideologies are, uh, however popular they are, they are not in charge. We worship a risen and embodied Jesus. One who's crucified for the sins of the world, now the first of a new creation. There's promise in that as well. He sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven, and he advocates for his people. He speaks for his people, and he will come again to judge both the living and the dead. This Jesus, this Savior, this one who will save his people from their sins. What do you think it would be like to hear that message, to hear that theme proclaimed right to your face, as we've heard in our reading, uh, read by Sophia. Thank you, Sophia. We see it powerfully revealed there in a humble circumstance. This promise is proclaimed to a young Israelite girl, Mary, betrothed to a man named Joseph. An angel appears to her, um, appears to Mary, this virgin who's betrothed but not yet married, says, don't be afraid. I think I would be terrified in that situation. And you see that over through scriptures as God brings his word to his people. Do not be afraid against all inclination. And the angel goes on to tell her that through the power of God's Holy Spirit, this miraculous thing will happen and she will conceive a son. He will be great and will be called the son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So think about that message for a moment, uh, proclaimed to a young Israelite girl, first century, what that would have been like to hear that message proclaimed. Think about who it's proclaimed to. And then as we move through Advent, think about who the message of Christ's coming kingdom is proclaimed to. Just let's keep that in our minds as we move through Advent and into Christmas. So Mary, though she's greatly troubled, she receives this message humbly. And she says, yes, to God's coming kingdom. She says, let it be to me as you have said. And the angel, of the Lord, also goes to Joseph, her husband-to-be, and says to him uh, to go ahead with the marriage, tells him uh, that the child that Mary carries is from the Holy Spirit, and that they are to name him Jesus, which means um, Savior, or God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So think about how Mary and Joseph, uh, from humble beginnings, from humble circumstances, would have heard this message, how they would have thought back to those moments of uh, this promise, this now and not yet, this looking forward to the kingship of Christ, but seemingly in impossible circumstances. How would they have thought back to those moments, even in the most difficult times, and we can see that the theme of the coming reign of Christ, it's woven in here at the beginning of the Advent story, and it passes through many twists and turns and fulfilled hopes and dashed expectations before it's heard in, its, in all of its fullness, Christ the King. So, speaking of themes, do you ever hear musical themes in your head as you walk down the street or as you sit at home? Do you ever think of music in your mind without, without singing it, or maybe you sing it out loud, or maybe you're at a party, and an icebreaker question is: uh, If your life had a soundtrack, what would that soundtrack be like? Do you ever get asked that question or think about that question? No. My wife's saying no; she doesn't. <laughs> well, sometimes I think about that. And and uh, we, as a family, we um, we used to live in Cambridge in the UK, and uh, we would cycle a lot through, throughout the city because we didn't have a car. And um, musical themes became very important because our son, who would, uh, we would strap the chariot up to the back of the bike, and our son, who is very musical, he's playing up here, he's not here so I can embarrass him, uh, but he was playing the cajon this morning. Um, he, liked, he would like to sing along as we rode along, as my wife rode along. And there was this bridge that would arc over the train tracks going into the middle of town. And you'd have to get a running start at it and uh, just pedal as fast as you could so you could get up to the top and then over the edge and Jacob would sing this theme song from uh, Cars 2. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. But it uh, goes something like, da-da-da, da-da-da, da-da, It's very jazzy. Uh, but <laughs> he would sing this theme song just as she's pedaling up. Um, and I'm assuming he was encouraging her and it would kind of give her the impetus to get over, the energy to get over the other side and down. So... So these themes are important, and uh, oftentimes today even we'll we'll sing that song if we're doing something, um, something that requires a lot of effort. So we, that theme stuck with us over the years, and maybe you have things like that that are stuck in your head. But a good theme in music, it's memorable, it's inspiring. And composers and songwriters uh, they often treat musical themes in different ways and uh, different shapes and sizes. Um, sometimes the themes are stated very clearly. Sometimes it takes a little bit of work to get uh, beyond all the harmonies and the rhythms and get to the theme again. But once you really know a theme, and I'm sure you can, you can think back to either a hymn or a song or a movie soundtrack or anything like that, once you really know a theme, when you hear it, you just sit up and take notice. You can hear that working in whatever context that that is. So I want to do a little bit of a musical experiment with you and see if you can recognize a theme that you have not heard before. It's one of my favourite uh, musical themes, uh, one of my favourite composers, James Macmillan is his name, he's a Scottish composer, and uh, he uses a theme that's come, become known as his tryst themes, so T-R-Y-S-T, the tryst being uh, a meeting of two people, an agreement, uh, a covenant, a pledge, and he uses this theme in a lot of his works, about 12 of his works, uh, they're choral, they're folk music, they're symphonic, all of this kind of thing, he uses it and it goes all the way uh, through sometimes. So. We're going to look at three different instances where this happens and see how he treats it a little bit differently. Uh, the first one is a folk song. It's uh, by a band that he used to be in called Whistle Binkies. Great name, Whistle Binkies. Uh, and the song is called Trist, and we'll hear it right now. Beautiful theme. It flows really quite well and uh, very gently. This da, da 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 So I want you to, to lock that in your brain now. You have it locked in your brain? You could all sing it now, probably? Good. Okay. Now we're going to hear uh, another instance of that theme working in a slightly different context. This is a congregational piece of music. Uh, It's for a setting of words uh, that's called the Sanctus. It's holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And James McMillan brings this theme in to work within that music, this congregational response. Again, have that in your mind, the tryst, the meeting of two parties, this covenant, this pledge, uh, working in this next piece of music here. Did you recognize it? Yep, you have got it there. The holy Lord. So he brings that in in a slightly different context, but still the same theme. And now we're going to hear one uh, that's a little bit, a little, even a little bit more different than that. Uh, it's stretched out a little bit. It's a setting of Psalm 51, of course, this great Psalm of confession that David prays. Uh, and at the end of it, he prays, "A broken and a contrite heart, that is what you desire, O God." And out of that, only then when I've come to you in brokenness and confession, then my sacrifices, my work for you, my praise of you, then it will be in a right place. And right at that moment, in that right place, James Macmillan brings this theme in and places it right there in this realization at the end of this, this psalm, the this setting of the psalm. So it is in Latin, uh, but it is right at that moment where he uh, says, this is when it will be right with you. So let's see that. Okay, we we'll have to cut it off a little bit early. We could listen to the entire thing, but uh, it's a little bit longer. But did you hear it there as well? It's a little bit longer, stretched out. Da, da, and it's, again, this point where uh, David says, once I've come to you in brokenness and confession, then my heart will be right before you. And this theme expands in, in that little place there. So you can see how a theme, a musical theme, it works in different contexts. It's the same theme. It's just highlighting different things. It's illuminating different things. And we can see the same thing here, the theme of Jesus Christ the King throughout the scriptures. We know it now. We can look back and we can recognize it from the whispered parts to the shouted parts. The meaning doesn't change, but the context of the fuller picture, it comes into view. The theme illuminates the work the story that it's a part of, and in the church calendar we come to this climax of the symphonic work at Christ the King, so to speak. We've heard over this past year the ideas, the motifs that feed into that larger theme. We've come through Advent, we've come through Christmas, the birth of Jesus, we've come through um, the revelation of who he is with the wise men of Easter. Of uh, Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, all of that kind of thing—they feed into. And now we are here at Christ the King. So let's look through a few places in Scripture where this theme of King, of uh, the the reign of Jesus, uh, shines through. And the first one we'll look at here is Second Samuel. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God speaking to King David, uh, prophesying about establishing the throne, eventually, of his descendant, who is Jesus. And then Daniel prophesying, And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And then in Luke, the one that we've heard read this morning already, coming to a young Israelite girl, He will be great, and will be called the son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then jumping forward to Mark, uh, in Mark, to Jesus before the religious leaders, before his crucifixion, his trial. Here, the high priest asks him, "Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed?" And Jesus says, "I am." And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, and coming with the clouds of heaven. And then in Acts 2, following Jesus' ascension, Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, this flawed uh, and wonderful uh, follower of Jesus, is telling people in Jerusalem, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And then, of course, in Revelation, this final um, wonderful Revelation of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the rulers of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reign of Jesus Christ has been initiated and will be like no other. Does this seem like a far cry from the Jesus that we've met over the past few months? Does it seem like the themes are clashing here? The themes that we saw revealed in the stories of meeting Jesus and the theme of Christ the King, do they work together? Well, in this sermon, we caught a glimpse of what that reign of Christ will look like. We found that those who will see God, who come to Jesus and are accepted by him, are those who recognize that they need him. Those who don't humble themselves before Jesus, they can't enter into his offered rest, into that everlasting peace of his kingdom. In every story we've heard preached over the past few months, there are those who recognize their need and there are those who harden their hearts. From the demon-possessed man who Jesus restored to a right mind to the woman whose sins were forgiven as she anointed the feet of the King of Kings, we were reminded that to enter the kingdom of heaven, one must receive Jesus and the kingdom he brings with the heart of a child. No pretense and no excuses. But the King of Kings... He knows our need, as the carol says. He knows our need. He's no stranger to our weakness. And in Psalm 51, which we've talked about already, King David recognizes this this and says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Only after we acknowledge our own sin and turn away from it will God beautifully restore us in a loving and right relationship with him, something that he's always reaching out to do. He's always reaching out. He's always pursuing us. And this right relationship, this gift of forgiveness is for everyone. It's made possible only through the work, the saving work of Jesus Christ, our King, whose kingdom is made up of people from all nations. Jesus has triumphed over all the sins of the world by his death for us on the cross. And the King has been lifted up. And all who look to him who humbly come before him, will be saved and restored and live under that good and glorious reign of Christ. The greatest gift that God has given to his creation is reconciliation with him. And the way into that reconciliation with him lies into submitting to this good and gracious and righteous and powerful king. Out of that gift, all other reconciliation and good things of the kingdom of God will flow so if Jesus is king, and we're not, if Jesus is king, the rulers of the world are not, what then? How do we challenge, how do we resist the reign of Jesus in our lives? What are the hot spots of this resistance in you and in me? It can be a difficult question to face, Our natural inclination is to resist, is to make excuses. We don't naturally submit, even for our own good. I know I don't say that tenderly with my wife sitting right here in the front row. I know this because the minute I'm challenged on something I've done wrong, the defenses go up and the excuses come out. And it's incredibly uh, frustrating And amazing how creative I can get in making excuses for myself and justifying myself before God and for the other people in my life. But I have to remember, we have to remember that Christ reigns over every square inch of human existence, every square inch of our lives, every square inch of our circumstances, whether we see it visibly or we don't. And we know that because of the things that we've read, the things that we've sung this morning. One of the most amazing and terrifying things about being human is that God allows us to make our own choice about our relationship with him. So will we go away from Christ the King Sunday? Will we go away from meeting Jesus with hard hearts? Or will we kneel to a good and gracious king who's given us the opportunity to come to him in our brokenness, to confess our sin, to be forgiven, to be restored, and to be welcomed? God's kindness, his good gifts, ultimately the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross are meant to lead us back to him, not to alienate us from him. And the Apostle Paul puts this in such a wonderful way. He describes the kind of king that Jesus is in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your kingship this morning. We give you thanks for the reign that you have enacted, that you are, that you have put in process. We thank you that you are king and that we are not. We thank you that you have good and wonderful and merciful things that you desire to give us. And so we come to you this morning and we take this time now to lay before you the things uh, that hold us back from you. We take time, even in this moment right now, to confess to you the things that are between us, places where we resist your reign in our lives. Lord Jesus, may you open our eyes to your good rule and your good reign. Open our eyes to how it works in our lives, in our country, in our government, in the world. And may it fill us with hope that having met you, having come to you in brokenness, we are restored to a right place with you. Lord, bless us, I pray, as we go out into the world today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.